Welcome to We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. I'm Lauren Lee, and I'm all about building communities, celebrating unique journeys, and sharing stories about the paths people have taken to enter the tech industry. Join me as we explore the skills my guests have learned in their prior jobs, schooling, or life experiences, and how they apply them to their current roles in tech. All right, let's do this and dive in. My guest today is the founder of DevRelate.io and a board member of Open Sourcing Mental Illness. He's an organizer of DevOps Days Buffalo, Code Days, and Elixir Days. He's a developer, writer, speaker, musician, and community advocate. He's known to travel the world speaking about programming and the way people think and interact. You could say that he's also known for wearing many figurative and literal hats. His name is PJ Haggerty, and I'm so excited to be chatting with him today. Welcome, PJ. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. Absolutely. So I know that you're deeply involved with developer relations. So maybe shall we pause before we jump into anything else and quickly define what that term means for listeners? Sure. I, I think there's like, it's, it's, and I know this is a hot topic and it's, 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 <laughs> it's the subject of so many Twitter hot takes right now. Oh gosh, I didn't mean to like start us off on a controversial question. <laughs> no, no, totally. But I, I love to answer it because I've been doing this for a long time, longer than a lot of people, longer than the term DevRel. Yeah. And I think I think what it really means is it's about sharing things around technology with people. That's the most basic definition of DevRel. Now, there's lots of different ways to do that through writing content or creating example applications or doing talks at conferences, which I think is the thing people most associate with it. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of different ways, even writing documentation, you know, that's Mm -hmm. a way of communicating with a group of people and, and giving them some knowledge they might not have. That's really, to me, what DevRel is. It's, it's about sharing information and having a conversation on what that information entails. Cool. And I, and we'll get to it a bit later, but you're the founder of a company that does developer relations as a service. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. De- DevRel, it's a DevRel and community as a service. That's so cool. That's really great. I can't wait to chat more about that. But now that we have that definition kind of set and established for us, let's go back in time and start at the beginning. Can you tell me more about the experiences that you had before you entered tech? Uh, absolutely. So before I entered tech, uh, I mean, for years, I was a musician uh, touring. I, I play drums. Um, as many people know, I've tried to incorporate that in some of my talks. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I have been on stage and done a talk with a guitar. And, you know, I, like music was my life. It, it was the greatest thing. But there's also a very finite timeline there where if you don't so-called, mm-hmm. you, you don't make it and you're you know, 28, your career is over. Mm. And that's unfortunately not inaccurate. So uh, actually around earlier than that, around the time I was 25, you know, I'd I'd gotten married. My wife and I were having kids and and she was like, what do you want to do? I was at the time I was working at a a deaf school here in Buffalo, um, which is where my wife and I had met. And she was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I need to go back to school. And everyone's saying like, you know, get into this programming gig, like everybody needs programmers. And this was at the time, it was like uh, 2000. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I went to school shortly after getting married. We were living in Florida. We had moved back to Buffalo. And in my first semester, I had, you know, who is now my 19 year old son. <laughs> and like I managed to, and working a full time job at the deaf school. So like it was like kind of a crazy, crazy wow. time to make that adjustment. Yeah. And the interesting thing was like I went and I got this degree and I, you know, I worked hard and I got this four year degree and I, I busted my butt to get it. And a lot of it hasn't gone to much use. <laughs> a lot of it was like great in theory. And if you're going to become a professor or an academic, mm. really going to help you out. But mm-hmm. in, in the end, like, you know, the skills that have helped me most in tech 
definitely did not come from four years at, at a state university. Hmm. Interesting. So where did you get those skills, would you say? Well, the funny thing is like, you know, a lot of it is involved in, you know, the ability to work with other people and, and work socially. Mm. So a lot of my music skills and my musician skills, and then the skills mm-hmm. that I learned working at a deaf school, you know, how to teach someone how to do something, how to work in a way that is beneficial to more than just one person. These are all skills mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with with COBOL or, or Perl or, you know, writing code. Right. These are skills that have to do with working with people, which is something a lot of programs miss out on, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. So it kind of fills in in a different way for you to learn something and to be adaptable when, when writing code itself. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that translated again when I started doing DevRel, which was not a choice. Uh, I was kind of tricked <laughs> into doing it by a friend of mine who who got me to do a lightning talk okay. that I was 100% not prepared for. No slides, half an idea. What was that on? Um, it, it was actually, it was kind of about community. And I, I, I said, you know, oh. you know I'm, I'm into open source, love open source technology. And, you know, we run this meetup here in Buffalo. At the time it was Western New York Ruby. And you have to kind of treat, when you run a meetup, you have to treat it like an open source project. Like, Yes, there's going to be one person who's kind of the head of it, but you want other people involved, and but you can't have too many cooks in the mm-hmm. kitchen. And, but everybody has to have a job. People have to feel welcome, and like it, like these things just kind of came out of my mouth. Right, the parallels, all these, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Sure. And you know, I was spitballing on stage, and and so I get off after five minutes. <laughs> sure. And my friend who signed me up looked at me. He goes, "That was great." And a friend of his walks up and says, "You know what? Um, we're doing this conference down in Kansas City in a couple months. Do you want to? Do you want to do a talk?" And I, I, I honestly said to him, I, he was like, I want that talk, but like for 30 minutes. I'm like, wow, okay. Right. Um, Build yeah. it out. So I, I said to him, I, I said, honestly, I don't know because this is not my job. At the time, I had moved from being a developer to working in a support organization as a developer at a cloud company. And so I was like, I've got to like ask my boss, is that a thing I can do? Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, like when I went to my boss, he was like, yeah, I'm thrilled. Yeah, do it. Do it. This is what we want you to do. Sure. Go be fun in the community. Make sure you wear the t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Get us that advertising. Sure. No, that's smart. Yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. And it just like one thing re- led to another. Then I got invited to, to fly to France to do the talk. And I was okay. you know, two months later, I was in Israel and it was like, this is absolutely nuts. I didn't even know this was a job. This was a thing yeah. people could do for a living. Right. And shortly after that, the same cloud company, uh, a friend of mine said, hey, do you want to start a community team? And I said, what's that? And he said, I have no idea. <laughs> Let's do it together and figure, figure it, out. it out. So, yeah. Wow. yeah. So we created one of the first ever DevRel teams. I think, obviously, you know, it's like prehistory. Nobody was really writing it down for sure. And we just went from there, and and it's been a great experience. It's been like seven or eight years now, and I I love it. But I suppose you were calling it a community team before it had that language of DevRel onto it. Right, right. I mean, at the time, like you had a couple people calling themselves Dev Evangelists, and yep. we didn't like that title at all because mm-hmm. it was a little too rah rah go product marketing. Sure. Right. Um, dev advocate wasn't a thing. Being back and forth yeah. between the two. Yeah, sure. That's interesting. Yeah. So we decided since we were we were speaking and writing content, but we were also writing code and contributing to projects mm-hmm. that we would call ourselves community engineers. Okay. And to be completely transparent, we were also working in a company called Engine Yard, which had a very strong train theme mm-hmm. and everyone was called an engineer, <laughs> um, which was at the founder's design. It is what it is. Um <laughs> 
but yeah, we had a lot of fun. We had a good time. And our whole thing was like, let's be kind to people and talk to them about what we're doing at Engineer. What's cool. It was mostly a Ruby company, but we we're like, what's cool with Ruby and PHP and Java and JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And we created a great community. We ended up doing two conferences uh, called Distill, which if you go to distill.engineer.com, like the videos are still up. Oh, cool. 2013, 2014. And they're two of the most amazing events I've ever been a part of. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting role towards where I am now. Now from like, you know, this 25 year old who's like, well, I don't know, I guess programming sounds good <laughs> to, to like you know, running my own company, working with people in the community and, and just having an amazing, amazing time. So when you when you decided to make that leap to founding devrelate.io, what was mm-hmm. that process like for you to say, I'm going to go all in on myself and, you know, building this out and helping others use the knowledge that I have and this experience that I've had kind of build out their devrel programs? Yeah, well, I could say it was no simple single moment thing. It was uh, a it was scary as hell. Um, yeah. And it still has its moments of complete terror, uh, <laughs> as, as opening any business will. Sure, of course. But uh, it actually came from a conversation with that same friend who I started the community team with an engineer, mm. um, a guy named Eamon Leonard, who he's been a successful startup founder. He's very community, community oriented. He's very well known in the Dublin, uh, Dublin, Ireland tech scene as the guy who brings people together. Cool. And he and I, we, we run into each other quite often. You know, we're still, we still talk pretty regularly. And, uh, and he's a good friend. And he said, you know, it's, interesting. He said, PJ, you have these skills. You know, you understand DevOps, which we weren't calling it back then, but you understand Mm -hmm. DevOps and support. You know how to write code. You know how to talk to people. You know how, you, you know how marketing works. You, you understand, you know, the intellect of the person who's out in the street because you have all these skills and you've gained them over years. And at the same time, we would go to events and see people or talk to people who were working at a small startup and there's like six or seven people and they would love to have someone doing DevRel, but they can't afford that right now. Right. And they can't, they're CTO or CEO or founder or head of development. They don't have time. They're trying to build this thing that may or may not even be live yet. So we kind of said, well, he, Eamon turned to me and he's like, there's your target market right there. It's built in. Mm. You already know these people. You already know the communities. All you have to do is bring them together. Cool. So that was like 2016. We had that conversation and I opened it late 2017. Okay. Uh, there was one false start in April where uh, my wife can attest to this. I, I just it was, it was, uh, I won't say it was a panic attack because I don't suffer <laughs> panic attacks, but it was definitely a panic moment. Sure. Um, where I was like, my God, I'm going to do this. Oh, oh, we're going to live in a box. We're going to be living in a box on the side of the road. The children will be destitute. I'm going to ruin all of our oh. lives. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Um, and so I sat down and she was like, if that's your decision, I, I respect and support you. My wife's awesome. And I called him and he's like, listen, he's like, if you don't want to do it, I, I support you not doing it. But I'm going to say this, if you don't do it, you will regret this for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in April. We opened in September. It, it took it took some time. And I realized, you know, part of it was I didn't like working for companies that would straight up tell me what DevRel was after working for so many years and helping to establish what devrel was right i can imagine that would be that would be tough yeah i mean imagine like you know if you're you know even if you're not a devrel imagine you are a coder and someone comes in and tells you that this is exactly how the the perl language works even though you've been doing it for years you don't really need to be told, but someone's going to tell you this is how it goes. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, even if you're a chef and you've been cooking since you were 16 years old and someone comes sure. in and says, 
that's not how you make creme brulee. Let me tell you how. Even though I have no experience, I'm going to tell you how this is done. Yeah, that's hard. So it's it's much nicer to kind of determine the parameters of how I work and how things go and make that very clear to my clients so that they ha- they then have the option to say, yes, we agree with you or no, we don't. Yeah. But to have an opinion on it and say like, this is what I believe and this is what I have seen be successful. And so that's our philosophy. Take it or leave it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and there's there's little things like I think there's a lot of people in DevRel who cannot take a stance and say, I will not speak at a conference that doesn't have a code of conduct, or mm. I will not speak at a conference that is all white guys, because it shouldn't be and I'm a white guy, I shouldn't be the only representation you see on stage. That's just yeah. it's not right. Um, it's not a true representation of the community and therefore it shouldn't be the way to do. But a lot of people don't have the legs to stand on in that situation. They don't sure. have the ability to say that because they're being defined by someone else's agenda. No, that's – and so you coming in and saying, okay, I have this experience and this is my opinion on it and here's how I think we can make the community a better place, et cetera, mm-hmm. is, is really cool. I think – thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Definitely. As someone who's transitioning later <laughs> in life is a second career and you know the audience for this podcast is a lot of folks that are entering the tech space and are new and are transitioning from a different place and so to know that there are folks out there that have been in it for a long time doing good work like that, I think it's really neat to hear. Yeah. And, and I, I won't say it's universal. I know these are these are my opinions. And, For you know, sure. Sanctioned, <laughs> yeah. sanctioned by Major League Baseball or whatever. But um, it's hilarious. Like, I, I know that it's it's not universal and that no. that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their- Of course. But it's nice that I have this company, therefore I get to work within the parameters of my own opinion. Of defining that. Yeah. I think that's really, really cool. Exactly. That's, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So tell me then, touching on this, you've had these other careers working as a musician and then also at the deaf school and with ASL, do you find yourself using skills or lessons that you've learned in those periods of your life today running DevRelate? Definitely. And and I will, I will touch on the ASL portion of it first. Okay. Because ASL, and that's American Sign Language for anyone who might not yeah, know. Yeah, thank you. It's it's a very dynamic and expressive language mm. where you are a lot of times using your whole body to get the point of something across. Mm. And I mean, I've used it directly. I actually have a talk called A Glimpse Into Accessibility where the first five minutes is in ASL. Oh, amazing. And I've done it a couple of times and the looks you get... People, people literally look at each other and, and have given me feedback. They're like, we didn't know if you were going to do that the whole time. We don't know what was going on. And I've had deaf people in the audience who are like, that was awesome. You finally gave people an understanding of how accessibility works. Yeah. And way to like make people feel uncomfortable and to sit with that and really problematize it too. That's cool. Yeah. And, oh, and that's awesome. The other side is you really learn how long five minutes is yes. um, when you don't understand. <laughs> and I've had people like kind of like lean like they were going to walk out, but then they didn't because they're not sure. Is that offensive? And it's like, good. Think that. I want you to sit there and broil in this for for five minutes. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. And this, and my slides have no captions, so it makes no sense to them. And they're like, and then I stop and, you know, there's a slide that says, is this going to go on like this the whole time? And I say, no. <laughs> um, the whole point of this is to point out that you didn't have access to part of what I was trying to convey to you. Mm. That's what accessibility is about. Yeah. And I've had a couple people tell me that they like they hired accessibility experts immediately afterwards because they never understood the problem before. Yeah. That's advocacy. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. That's exactly. so cool. Amazing. And it needs to be a part of what we do. I agree. But yeah, so I mean, that that helped me to inform. It also helps to kind of understand like how to 
comport yourself on stage. I'm mm. a very handsy talker. Mm-hmm. And in order to kind of combat that, and, and that's totally from working with kids who are deaf, like 100%. Yeah. Like I, I, this is a podcast, but I am gesticulating and I'm I have imagining. been the entire time. <laughs> um, my microphone, it, you know, it loads from the top so that my hands are free below it so I don't hit it. Smart. <laughs> That's a learned experience. Yeah, I would say that's a um, trick that you've learned over time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, like it, you know, once I understood that was something that I did, I was like, you know what? In order to combat that a little bit, I'll stop wearing the headset, the lavaliers, mm-hmm. the clip-on microphones, and I'll always ask for a hand- handheld microphone so that I know that I have to have at least one hand that is under control and not waving all over the place because I will, you know, I will throw signs into things because my in-laws are deaf. My wife is a professional sign language interpreter when she's not working with me doing Deverlate. So it's not like sign is something that's in our lives constantly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we use it just for convenience. You know, it's nice, you know, we just had the holidays to be sitting at the dinner table and be kind of trapped because there's so many people in your house. Yep. Just be like, can you please get me a Pepsi without ever raising your voice or trying right. to shout over the whole table? Yeah. Super convenient. But yeah, I mean, that's something that an experience like that informs your life. And mm-hmm. when I started working there when I was 17, I didn't know any sign language except for maybe the alphabet and my receptive skills were almost zero. Huh. But just like just like with coding, when you immerse yourself into a language and it's any language, ASL, French, mm-hmm. uh, Japanese, whatever, you, you start to internalize that because it's a culture that you're a part of. Mm. It will retrograde and come back depending on whether you know you leave, you come back, whatever. It's in the same way like, you know, a lot of people when they started coding, they probably started with things like HTML and CSS. Yeah. Or even, you know, a lot of the boot camps are like, we'll do Ruby and Rails and that's yeah. great. And you're like, yeah, I'm learning these skills. And I get that instant feedback when I do, you know, Rails new. When I start a new Rails project, like I have to go back and think like, what is what how what how does rake work? Mm-hmm. What is that all about? <laughs> yeah. Why why is this telling me I don't have a database? But you know things things like that, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's the same way. When you work towards proficiency, you find that you have to start studying the basics again. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same with ASL. Like when my in laws come over for holidays or for dinner or whatever, I will start using signed English because signed English translates the same way that like you and I are speaking right now. Mm-hmm. ASL is not like that. The sentence structure doesn't work the same way. Mm-hmm. If we were talking, I said, you know, hey, I'm going to go to the store, the grocery store. I'm going to the store. That's a sentence that makes sense to you. In ASL, it'd be more like store, go, me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm the least important thing in that sentence. Mm-hmm. Go is the action. Store is actually the point that I'm trying to make. Sometimes I've seen I've seen interactions where people are just like store. And you completely understand. Like, you just say store or food yeah. store. And that conveys all of the meaning that you could possibly need. And it's a completely acceptable way to communicate things. And it's, in a lot of ways, like that's worked to inform me about my code and my talks. Like it helps to say, you know, listen, this this slide right here is useless. Like, why do I have to distill it down? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And with yeah. code, it's like I can say I can do in five lines here what I'm actually what's written in ten lines. Let's 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 scale it. Let's move it backwards. Yeah, that's fun. When I was an English teacher, which is what I did before I learned to code, I would have my students take their five paragraph essays and try and bring it down to cut it down to just maybe one page and just cut out the BS, make it concise, really distill to what you're trying to say and see what that practice felt like. And it was really fun then to transfer that when I was learning to write code. Mm-hmm. Okay, that code was written in a really verbose way. How can I make it more simple and clear for the future engineer who's going to maybe be looking at it? Yeah, it's a great parallel. Absolutely. I mean, in, in some ways, they're, 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 it goes with I kind of have a Twitter philosophy. Mm-hmm. Can I get this in? Can I get this in? A, it used to be 140, but can I get this into 280 characters right. and get the point across? And if I can't, 
why am I not writing a blog post? Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the whole like 18 point Twitter thread, like write a blog post, then tweet the link to your blog post. Yep. That's super fair. No, I think it's just this idea of what am I trying to say? And taking the time to think about the end point too, as opposed to just rambling. There's something thoughtfully done there. And I think right. when helping people learn to code or making something accessible in developer relations, that's a really important thing to think about who your audience is and that end goal too. Right. And I mean, it does, it's not just for practitioners like you and I, like there's also like, it's something that conference organizers and event organizers should think about. Mm. Um, I, was, I was having this conversation a little while ago with a friend of mine and I was like, you know, the whole thing is I was like, we're at this conference and all of the talks are 55 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who don't read weird sociological stuff because you don't have mild obsessions with very weird sociological and psychological preferences <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter if you're curious about that. But I, I look at a lot of these things and like the human mind generally, generally can retain knowledge that's directed at them for 35 to 40 minutes. Right. This is why schools like, and you know, you're an English teacher, have classes that are, you know, 35 to 40 minutes or in elementary school, they break it it up into 20 to 30 minute blocks because that's Mm -hmm. your retention before you need a context switch. Mm -hmm. So having talks that go on for 55 minutes, it's not considerable. And most of what the people are talking about, that middle part is fluff and you lose the audience. Yeah. Every time. We always think about it. Okay, make it a workshop then. I got to be interactive. I got to be doing something with my, like the audience needs to be involved somehow or writing it with you because yeah, you're just not going to be paying attention. I used to make my students walk around the block if we had an hour and a half long class, like a double block. I'd be like, all right, let's go. Come on, go outside. Let's move our body. We just can't, we can't do it. We cannot stay here and try to get through this Shakespeare soliloquy for another five minutes longer. Like no one, I do not have your attention right now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, exactly. To be or not to be outside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. So, okay. So what would you say were the reasons or what kept you from entering the tech industry before you did? You know, you had these other careers, but you mentioned having kids was kind of a turning point for you. Mm-hmm. Were there yeah. other pieces or components to that? There were uh, like part of it was, you know, there, there, there was a financial constraint there with, with the kids, but at the same time, like, you know, prior to that, like, uh, a, I still thought I was going to be a rock star that was on the cards and I wasn't going to give up that dream as in retrospect, idiotic as it was. (laughs) But also tech was appealing compared to other options because it had this problem solving component mm. and that's something like I really enjoyed. And my, my major was CIS. My minor was in forensic anthropology, which I didn't go into because again, there's that financial component and there is, sure. don't let the CIS fool you. There is no money in forensic anthropology. No. <laughs> uh, I don't care how, how many times you say enhanced, that's all bullshit. It's fascinating, but yeah. It's, yeah. Great, great TV, but no. But yeah, I really got into the whole like, you know, I can make a thing happen. Mm-hmm. That also like in the back of my mind, it's, it's not real because it's, you know, it's the internet or, you know, it's a hello world program or whatever. It's right. just, you know, some, some visual feedback that that's enticing and that's awesome, you know, but it, it, it it's, it kind of fed into that, like, you know, let's puzzle something out. Let's figure out where things are going and where we can take them. And so that was, that was attractive to me. Mm. And then of course, you know, when it came to switching over to, to DevRel from, you know, strictly staying behind the scenes, yeah. there was like go, going back to the musician side of things like, so wait, I can be on stage and everyone's going to listen to me mm. for 30 minutes and I can spout whatever I want seemingly. And then at the end, they're going to clap. And maybe mm-hmm. in the middle, they'll laugh a couple of times because like I can stick in a few jokes. Sure. Like, yes, yeah, sign me up, please. Yeah, it gives you those same endorphin boosting moments. Oh, sure. it does. 
It does. And I know some people are like, you know, wow, I do a talk and I come off and I need 15 minutes to just chill out. And it's like, yeah, because actually you're, you know, for lack of a better medical term, you are so high. Mm-hmm. You are so high when you come off that stage that you can't deal with people. Mm-hmm. And that's the same as like, you know, if you've had too many drinks or, you, you know, you smoke a lot of weed, whatever your thing is, I don't, I don't judge you. I don't care. <laughs> but honestly, like you, you get to that point. So people get to that point where like, I can't deal with anything right now because I am so damn high that it's amazing. And I, I get that. For me, it's like, yeah. I think that carries it on. So like when I'm done off stage, I'm like, yeah, who wants, you want to take selfies? You want to ask questions? <laughs> you know, let's go outside. Let's like, you know, and, and I, I do like to get outside after, especially some of those conference spaces are like dark and dank. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's mm-hmm. get some fresh air and talk more about how DevOps is a philosophy and not actually a practicable, practical thing. Yeah. I think it's the stimulation there is like you make people think. And that's the whole reason I got into coding. It's like, hmm, okay, so there's 15 different solutions to a single thing. Mm-hmm. None of them are right, quote unquote. None of them are perfect, at least. There's mm-hmm. no golden hammer for every, everything. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like when you have that problem, like, oh, you know, I, I put, there's a flat tire on my bike. And I know that there's two lug nuts on my bike, but I don't know what size they are. Oh, cool. So I'm going to run back and forth between where I keep my wrenches and keep going back and forth till I find the right one. And when I do, I'm going to be like, yeah, the right one. <laughs> and it's like, like, to me, that's, that's what coding is. Sure. Actually, you bring up an interesting point. A lot of our listeners are new, as I said, to tech and maybe curious about checking out conferences and maybe attending their first one in 2020. Do you have any tips for newbies when it comes to finding a good conference to check out or applying to scholarships, things like that? Uh, I think that the first thing is to to really take a look at the conference and make sure it's something that you are interested in being at that's going to have interest for you in the content. Um, a lot of times people see a name of a conference and like, yes, that's for me. And that's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of that don't judge a book by its cover. I've been to many conferences that are very flashy Mm. and very high level and they have great scholarship programs and that's wonderful. And a lot of people get there, they're like, this isn't a tech conference. This is a VC conference or this is a sales Mm. conference. And they're like, you know, I'm not here to be have a product pushed on me. Yep. Yeah. I'm here to learn things, but I'm not learning anything. So take a look at the speakers, see their passage, maybe watch a video or two and see if it's the content you really want. Mm. And if you're thinking about applying, uh, I always recommend like, you know, develop your talk, do it at a local meetup or do it with some coworkers that you know you can trust to give you valuable feedback. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky. Like I, li- I live in Buffalo, New York. We're very honest people. <laughs> and I, I would do a talk, bring it to a meetup, and people would be like, okay, so that was good. But like slide 17 was absolute garbage. I love it. Like, oh, okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. And the timing didn't work out. Like that joke's never going to land outside of Western New York. Like, so mm, just scrap yeah. that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think workshopping it is an important part. So people that are yeah. yeah have gotten a CFP accepted or they're working on one that they want to apply and you know start sending out to places. Yeah, it's a great way to. I mean, it's a low risk space. Hopefully, that it's a safe it place for you to trial run and yeah see how it goes. Yeah, and the, and the thing the thing is too sometimes and I've I've always had this attitude where just because I have an idea and I've decided to put it to slides Mm -hmm. um, doesn't always mean that it's a good idea or even that anyone else wants to hear about this idea. Mm, That the curiosity is there. (laughs) Exactly. And that's okay. That's totally okay. It's the same way. Like, you know, when I was a musician, we'd be like, man, this song is awesome. And we'd go up on stage and be like, why isn't everyone loving this song? This is our song (laughs) and we love it. Can't expect everyone to love it just because you love it. No, that's Uh, And that's okay. (laughs) And the other thing is, do not let rejection kill you. Mm. We all get rejected. Yeah. All the time. Like I 
I'm going to sound very not humble right here. So I'm at like the top of the game. I speak at 25 to 30 conferences a year. And that's A, not something most people should do. B, that means that I also get rejected about 70 times a year. Yeah. And that's okay. Like I get it. And I I wouldn't want to be accepted to 100% across the board. That's insane. I'm for sure not. But yeah. still, but still, it's being comfortable with getting a no and not taking it personally and saying right. that's not a reflection of who PJ is or yeah, yeah. That's right. Hard. Sometimes, and I'll put my conference organizer hat on because a lot of mm-hmm. times I've done conferences where we give people feedback and they're like, how come I didn't get picked? And it's like, listen, like, so we had a scale from one to five and you were like a 4.7, mm-hmm. but only 4.8 and above got accepted. And it's like, it's not that it's bad. It's just that we don't physically have enough time to give right. all of these awesome talks space. Yeah. And sometimes that's cool. And sometimes you'll never know. Yeah, totally. And that's, that's something that just be thick skinned about it and, and let it roll off. The first one's going to hurt a lot. For Second sure. one, a little bit less. And then you're going to be like, you know what? Sometimes you get picked. Sometimes you don't. It's not, you know, it's not elementary school gym class. It has nothing yeah. to do with you or your, or your topic or your your personality. No, sometimes things just don't fit. And conference organizers all, aren't always great at giving you the ideas that they want on stage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and okay. honestly, I think it applies really well to job hunt too. I mean, when I finished my boot camp, absolutely. I went to loops upon loops and, you know, got a lot of no's. And it, all it takes is just, a, you know, one yes or maybe two yes if you want to have some salary negotiation moments. But I think it's, yeah, <laughs> you have to be comfortable with getting that no. And it's just the industry that we're in. And, it's lucky because there for this, there's lots of jobs or there's lots of conferences out there too. I mean, I gosh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you speak on burnout a lot because 30 conferences a year is a lot. I'm, I'm, I don't even know how to begin <laughs> imagining what your schedule looks like. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm lucky enough that, um, like with the 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 team from Community Pulse, which is the podcast yeah. that I'm on, yeah. we have a very nice like support network there because between the four of us, there's got to be I don't know, there's probably well over 200 events there. Mm, that's great. And so, yeah, I mean, like I worry about burnout, but I manage to ensure it doesn't happen. And, and this is a, another advice, like make sure when you, when you get out the gate and you get that first acceptance and the second and the third, it's okay to tell them no. Yep. Yeah. It's okay to say like, listen, um, I've done four conferences in the, the first half of the year and I'm going to take all of July off and I'm going to take mm-hmm. all of August off and mm-hmm. I'm going to go do what people do in the summer, which for me is burn in the sun. <laughs> but like, you know, whatever it is you do, make sure you take that time. Don't, yeah. don't get into it and, and just feel that you're obligated to, to say yes to every single opportunity. And this is like the dev, like you want to know what DevRel is? How did it really define DevRel? People who have a really hard time saying no. Sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's super true. No, absolutely. Because you want to be involved in your community. You want to be out there with your friends and your tech spaces. And yeah, it's tough to say no, because it's all yeah. they're all important parts of it. And it's just wearing many, many hats with it, too. Exactly. Literally yeah. or figuratively. Yes. Um, but <laughs> yes, don't, <laughs> don't wear a lot of different hats. Like, that's my thing. So you know, okay. like I don't have a lot of style and fashion, so like, totally. let me wear the hats. <laughs> like that's PJ's brand. Everyone step off. Okay, got yeah, it. exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, I need no, to trademark I, this. That's I, I completely <laughs> agree. Oh, that's really funny. It's it's difficult to say no sometimes, for sure. Exactly, exactly, and and, and that's you can burn yourself on con- out, out on content just as much. Yeah, that's a really good point. And there's so many parts to DevRel that I guarantee there's a way to find a balance that works for you. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's super fair. Yeah, I mean, this this conversation has been chock full of advice for folks that are entering this space, but I think learning your voice and, you know, you're an advocate for your community, but also be an advocate for yourself. Why not? Mm -hmm. That sounds healthy. Yeah, that's really great. Absolutely. Okay, well, this has been such a pleasure, PJ, but I would love for right now, go ahead and make your shout out. There's so many things you're involved in. What would you like listeners to go check out right now? Oh man, that that is a tough one. But uh, <laughs> if, I was, if I was to pick... One thing that is like really important to me, um, I've been lucky you enough- You don't have to uh, say just one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Then okay. I'll just, how much time do we have? Yeah. But yeah, I was lucky enough back in the engineer days uh, with my friend Eamon, we started a thing called MH Prompt. MH Prompt was uh, a corral of speakers who specifically dealt with issues of mental health in the tech industry. Uh, they, we would make sure they were financed for travel and accommodations to go to events, get up on stage and say, listen, you know, I have ADHD, I have burnout, I have anxiety, mm -hmm. bipolar disorder, o o OCD, whatever. Um, and say, here's my story. I work in tech and here's how it affects my life. Learn from what I've done, learn from what's happened to me. And that was an amazing thing. Uh, earlier in 2019, we kind of had some issues with who we were funded by, who was holding our money in the bank. So we actually merged with our friends at OSMI, which is Open Sourcing Mental Illness. Got it. OSMIHelp.org. Um, and I became a member on the board there. And I still helped to organize you know, speakers and events that, that we're involved in. Um, recently at, at KubeCon in San Diego was part of a panel to discuss mental health and tech. And if you're holding an event or if you know your company is going to have an in-service or some time to learn from outside the company, please get in touch with OSMI Help. You know, my email there is pj at osmihelp.org. Let's talk more about this because the more we end the stigma about mental mm -hmm. health and tech, the more our community becomes more healthy. And that's the key. We've we've learned through various studies that like tech is like the second or third most likely industry to have mental health issues behind like military and first responders and doctors and nurses. So I mean like that that seems odd because we're not we're not saving lives out there as much as we we're changing the world and making it a better place. <laughs> but at the same time, we're not really saving lives out there mm -hmm. for the most part. I mean, sure. Some people make that software, but if we don't deal with our own issues, if we don't look at what we have, and even it's just something simple, like going to a therapist and talking it out with someone that's important too, but maybe you actually have something you need to dig a little more into and don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. That's the key to what we do. So if, if you have any questions or you want to talk about it, we've got some great guides at osmihelp.org or reach out to me and we're happy to provide speakers to your event and get people talking about it. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for providing that as a resource, PJ. Uh, and where can people find you online? Me? So online, I'm on Twitter. I'm a splenic, A-S-P-L-E-E-N-I-C. Also on GitHub. You can reach me at pj.devrelate.io. Always around. Uh, if you do follow me on Twitter, I can't guarantee it will always be about tech. I have some thoughts about some things. <laughs> and they're, they're in. I think my last tweet was about cats, the movie. Yeah. It was. Yeah, ew, immediate ew. <laughs> I, I know you were going for it was, but you started with ew. And no, I think no, that's and I the was, <laughs> I am. Okay, I'm cleaning the <laughs> Regardless, it has been such a pleasure, PJ, chatting with you today. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and just the advice that you've gained over your time in this industry and sharing it with everyone. So you know, we're greatly appreciative. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been fantastic. Okay, talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, thanks. And that's a wrap on another episode of We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. 
Be sure to rate and subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts and check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.